This is the Urban Activist edition of 5am Upper Street. The Urban Activist is a publication centering its reporting on actions and cities that embody courage and create human progress. Independent, apolitical and non-partisan, its work manifests in an open archive of grassroots solutions, social innovations and movements in cities around the globe. This episode has been supported by 1014. Named after the address of its space at 1014 Fifth Avenue, this non-profit organization creates a space to exchange ideas and work on solutions for more just and equal societies. We are diving into the world of New York City to find out what citizens are doing to make New York a better place to live. From Harlem to Brooklyn, New Yorkers will tell you firsthand how they are changing their city and creating community in one of the densest cities on earth. Claire Foyer is a young cultural anthropologist embarking on a journey to study ridership, human behavior, and New York's complex train system. Subway Social Club was founded with her mother, Wendy, who was the founding director of the Metropolitan Transportation Authority's Arts for Transit and served as director of arts and design for almost 11 years. Every person, even visitors, can join Subway Social Club by wearing a pin with the club's logo to signal to others that they are open to conversation during the ride. Here's the thing. Wear a pin when you want to chat. Take it off when you don't. In October 2019, they did an experiment by starting conversations on the subway. 90% of people were open to talk. Claire was blown away. All of a sudden, the subway became so social. My name is Claire Foyer, and I currently am in my apartment in Brooklyn, New York. There's so much I wouldn't change about New York, and there's so much I would change. I wish we could take more pauses. I think in the subway and just in general, we're very, we're a go-go type people. It's really easy to go a day without making any eye contact or smiling at someone. I started the club at a stage in which I thought connection and belonging was very external, but now I also see it as very internal. And now that I've shifted to focus mostly on internal work, I've realized that we're connecting all the time on the subway. And I wish people would look up more because I think they would see so many more people smiling. I also do wish that people were more open to talking on public transit because I think that talking and connecting and feeling a sense of belonging is so important. The subway is so essential to New York City. It actually is our main mode of transportation. And so the subway is connected as how people get around New York City. And I also think, I mean, you might have actually just heard, but someone, I was lingering a little bit on the platform and someone actually asked me, do you need help? Do you need directions? And I think that is so essential too. The subway, whether you talk or not, is where people gather. And we're reminded that there are other people who exist. So I think in terms of the subway is essential to the city because not only, and one, because it transports us to where we need to go, but also because it reminds us that there are other people who are kind and will ride with us. A true New Yorker having spent the majority of her time in the Big Apple, Claire's experience riding the subway offers glimpses into the city's psyche. 
So one great experience that I had, I actually took the D all the way uptown, which I had never done, and I boarded, and there was actually just one other person, and he turned out to be homeless. And he had recently, for the seventh time, got out of federal prison. And we just had this amazing chat about what life was like, how he would not be going back to prison, how that was his last time. He gave me one great piece of advice before I left. He's like, Claire, what does it mean to be alive? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And he goes, Claire, to be alive is to be present, is to be aware. And that has stuck with me because at that time, I was actually the most probably unaware of my circumstances. We live in a very divided city, in a divided world. And I think so many times that you read the news and you wake up to a lot of terrible things going on in the world. And then you ride the subway, though and yet so many people are coexisting in one space. And metaphorically also, I think we're going to the same place and we're all riding together towards our shared destiny. But I also think the subway too, in many ways, holds the city together because it's a very honest portrayal of what it means to be alive and to be in New York. It's not all jolly Times Square and homelessness. People from all different races and genders and ethnicities and you hear so many different languages. Many things have turned New Yorkers off from riding the subway, from the pandemic to some violent incidents. Yet the importance of human connection will prevail among open-minded New Yorkers. I have a love-hate relationship with New York City. I grew up in Brooklyn and have lived here pretty much my entire life. If in the background, I'm not quite sure you can hear, but there's actually a siren. And someone told me that if you live in New York, you'll hear sirens. And funny enough, every day I hear a siren. And I used to really hate it, actually, because they're so loud. I've shifted my mind, and now I'm actually quite grateful when I hear a siren because it reminds me that someone who needs help is getting help. And I think the thing about New York City is to live here you really do have to be open to having a shifting mindset. I think it can be so busy and sometimes feel so overwhelming that to live here and to find peace and to find nature or to find friends even and community and belonging, you have to be able to shift your mindset and feel worthy of it because everyone is pursuing their own dreams and everyone I think is rushing a bit. Put yourself first and do it in a way that allows you to fill your own cup so that you can fill other people's cup too. Because in New York City, there are a lot of cups to fill. So much has changed in New York, I think, because of the pandemic. But I also think too, just getting older in New York has been really just has opened my mind. I realize it's not necessarily about New York. It's about ourselves. So I think even if we don't necessarily talk on the subway, just being together and seeing different points of view, different perspectives. And I do think the subway is the glue that holds the city together. I love to connect people in the subway, but also I think it's connecting people is a lot easier than a lot of people think. And a lot of it stems from just being aware. And I like to find similarities between people who don't look alike, whether they're wearing the same shoes or they have the same backpack or they're both tourists. 
So I think it comes very naturally to me. Like one of my favorite things to do is to say hello to someone. And when someone starts talking to me, that's usually like when another person will join in or look towards us kind of longingly uh, as if to join the conversation and then just very just looping them in. And I think it starts with eye contact too. You just loop, loop people in with eye contact. But I also share a lot of compliments with someone I see someone with really tissues on, I'll tell them. Or I'll be very honest and be like, hey, look, I'm working on a project. Oh, there's a train. <laughs> Do you mind telling me? Can you give me feedback? And people are so friendly. Yeah, I think New York is a place where you really have to initiate contact. Yet we're also some of the most friendly. We're the friendliest. So I highly recommend people reaching out to others on New York City Transit and elsewhere. You won't be disappointed. And trust me. It's not weird. New York City is a wonderful place to grow up and experience experience life and change. And I actually saw there's a great, I'll have to take a picture, but there was a wonderful graffiti and it says, New York, why are you always changing? From Brooklyn, the subway will take us to the west side of the Morningside Park, where Brad Taylor lives. Isatu Bay Gracia lives on the east side in Harlem. In between them is the Morningside Park in Manhattan. Both are members of the Board of Friends of Morningside Park, an all-volunteer organization originally founded to restore the park from decaying 40 years ago. My name is Brad, and I'm walking in Morningside Park, one of Harlem's historic parks in New York City. It's just a beautiful morning. Right now I'm watching a bunch of squirrels sunning themselves and trying to pick up scraps off of the Manhattan schist, the rock that's so prevalent in Morningside Park. And I can hear birds in the trees. It's just a wonderful respite from the sounds of the city to be here in the park. This is a historic park. It was designed by Frederick Law Olmsted and Calvert Vox. In fact, it's the last park that they completed during their lifetimes. In 1895, when it was finished, Calvert Vox died. It's now a landmark park of the city of New York, and it deserves all the attention we can get for it. It's right between Harlem and Morningside Heights. It's very diverse, and our group really tries to make the most of that. We call Morningside Park, our common ground, because it is between two communities. New York City allocates less than 1% of its budget to the maintenance and operations of parks, and that's just completely inadequate. And of course, that isn't spread evenly. Larger parks in New York City have private conservancies that can raise millions of dollars for their parks. And parks like this Morningside in Harlem and the other Harlem parks, you can see that they don't get the love and attention that they deserve. So that's frustrating, but it's something that we try our best to overcome. We advocate for public funding and we raise private donations for the park. As I've been walking through the park, a number of people have called out to me and it's nice to see friends out and about jogging and running in the park. I'm going to walk a little bit more now, walk a little south on this path. 
Morningside Park tells the history of a city that urgently needs to invest in places that offer common ground for communities to reduce violence. Or is it more of the perception of violence as it is in the subway? There isn't that much violence in Morningside Park. It's a remarkably uh, peaceful place to be. We have had so a couple of incidents that have been blown up in the press in recent years. One, of course, was an absolutely horrific, and I don't want to make light of that. And Morningside deals with this reputation. So there's real violence, and that's absolutely there. But in general, the statistics show that the park is really one of the safer places to be in our community. And it's been that way for a long time. So there's the actual crime statistics, and then there's a perception of crime and violence. And that's where we see a lot of discrepancy between actual numbers and perceptions of crime. And I think that's understandable. People want their parks to be sacred places, and they should be in safe places. And so when something happens in a park, I think just psychologically, people feel violated. This is our space, the space that we go to for respite. We go to, to relax, and we go to expecting to be safe. And that's really violated when there's a violent act and it reverberates throughout the whole community and for a long time and the reputations of parks get destroyed i would say morning song is one of the best examples of this everyone deserves to be able to walk through morning sun park day or night we shouldn't have to be afraid of walking through our parks and we work with a number of other organizations around the park, one in particular is called Street Quarter Resources, and another one is called Harlem Mothers Say. They're both anti-violence, anti-gun violence in particular, as Harlem Mother Saves. And they try to set up programs for youth to steer them away from a life of crime and violence. And that's what we've been doing too. Shortly after the Tessa Majors murder, we called a community forum that brought together over 200 people. And we all sat down in breakout sessions and brainstormed about what could be done. And the biggest thing that came out of that to me was that there needs to be more programming for the youth in our community. And our park is surrounded by schools. So we have a lot of these youth right there to the park. So what we've tried to do is fashion programs so that they can get to know the park, they can contribute to the park, they can get paid for working in the park. And I guess the most successful of these is, is something we call Harlem Youth Gardeners. Those are all ways that we're trying to get young people engaged and doing productive work and helping the community and getting a feeling of self-worth out of what they're doing. And I think that's been effective, and we plan to continue that. I'm often asked about police deployment in our park, and I wanted to clarify and talk about that a little bit. The po local police precinct is really fairly good at patrolling the park, especially on the lower level. Our park got noted as a very big discrepancy in terms of height. There's a very steep part of the park that's where to patrol at a much easier part of the lower level. And so we see regular patrols of the cars flowing through the park on the lower level. And the overall crime statistics in Morningside are really quite low. So I think residents just felt that police presence at that time after the murder 
was just a little excessive and oppressive in relation to the community. And I will say that before the murder, we were pointing out that there were problems in the park. There were some lights that were out. The visibility was about good. We need to clear up the sight lines in the upper level of the park. And that's been something we've been trying to point out for the longest time. Unfortunately, nothing was really done about that before the murder occurred. Another thing we've often advocated for and still aren't seeing enough of is foot patrols on the upper level. So to get into that upper level, you've got to get out of your car, climb the stairs, and then move north-south in the park. And we've seen this occasionally, but it's really up to diligence of various officers that have decided to do this, but we need a much more steady presence of foot patrols on that upper level of the park. And now we're going back to Morningside Park with Brad to climb to the highest level. There are a lot of stairs in this park. I'm climbing up from the Harlem side of the park up to the Morningside Heights level. Woo! There you have it. I'm at the top of the park now. Feeling a little winded. Once you're up here, there's an amazing view out over Harlem and the park. Yeah, good to see you. Oh, it was great. I'm so glad you like the turnout was amazing, right? And now, moving to New York's music scene, jazz. Ri Yamaguchi Borden and Mitchell Borden, founder of legendary Smalls and Fat Cat Clubs in New York, started the not-for-profit organization Gotham Yardbird Sanctuary during the pandemic, bringing together the jazz community and local businesses to support each other. But music had already started to have a low turnout before the pandemic, and they missed a place to hold on to, to have the unifying power of music. They opened the Ornithology Jazz Club in vibrant Bushwick. I believe how the Ornithology Jazz Club that me and husband started a year ago has been quite a success is because we became an inclusive spot where the artists of all kinds of genre or in different kind of field can come together in one place. I would like to see more places like Ornithology Jazz Club, the place where all like-minded people can gather, hang out, inspire each other. Oak City is full of people with the, their own unique visions and just such a special energy that they bring from wherever they're coming from. After the pandemic separated us physically, and somehow so the timing is perfect for us to acknowledge the importance of human connection and the power of jazz, we'll be able to um, make New York City alive again with its deepness with its humanity. Actually, one of our biggest model is to be promoting jazz as a catalyst of new type of renaissance that once had happened in the Black Renaissance during 1920s. I think this music is so deep and it's so democratic. It is like an epitome of American idealism that was born from the suffering of the Black American slavery history. 
of this country. New York City itself is music to me, and especially this music, jazz. It has a power to make us realize a common denominator is our feeling and emotions, the way that it makes you feel energized and vulnerable and makes you just explore all kinds of feelings in yourself. I think it is one of the cities that you will feel music is vibrating when you're just walking down the street. Music vibrating in the faces of people that you meet in a subway or just the rhythm, the sound of the city is so musical and vibrant. That itself is, to me, the strongest element why this music unites people. So it is happening at our club that we were witnessing that, that especially young artists that live in mostly in the neighborhood of Brooklyn, they come to hear this music and they get sincerely inspired and meet other like-minded people that was attracted to this music and then express their creativity, creativity in their own field or in their own voice. Ree and Michael run their club with the belief of witnessing a new type of renaissance after the pandemic. And if it's there, how do we keep it going? How would we like to energize even the energy is quite strong, I would say, and keep bringing the high-quality music? I think we just have to keep the door open and be able to present as many voices as possible with our gut feeling of what we think should be hard. Openness and selectiveness, I would say. Yes. And once again, to operate the place like Onitology, it's just beautiful because every single day we get to meet just a wonderful souls and we are blessed daily to get to meet and talk and hang. I think it is the best thing in life. Um, daily, all that I met this music, play, I love, I play with others, this music in New York. I think I'm very lucky. Having now traveled through the streets of New York and seeing the incredible work that is being done by these urban activists, it's interesting to see how their bold but grounded actions are weaving human connections to enrich the lives of New Yorkers. And thanks again to 1014 in New York City for supporting this first episode. 1014 provides transatlantic perspectives on today's pressing global topics. If you're interested in 1014's work or in attending their events in New York City, go to 1014.nyc. That is 1014.nyc. All programs are free of charge and open to the public. See you next time on the Urban Activist edition of 5am Upper Street.